Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Yeah, that's what, that's what he said. He said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Because a servant doesn't know what his master knows. But I have revealed everything to you that the Father has revealed to me. Can you receive that? I mean, think about that just for a minute. Jesus says, because you're my friends, I have revealed everything to you that the Father has revealed to me. Yeah, think about that, though. I mean, how dare Jesus say something like that? I have revealed to you everything that God has revealed to me. You know, and then in our minds, we're like, yeah, but what about this? What about that? There's this, there's that. And we throw all these qualifications on there, and we start to limit what that could mean for us. I'm not saying you're God. You're not going to become a God. You're not as strong as God. But God is not withholding from you. He has made you one with him. That's how he describes this union that we have as like a marriage. Amen? So I'm going to keep going in this heart series and just kind of further illustrate <clears throat> that union. Because it's, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a misunderstood element of the kind of relationship that we have with God. We still think sometimes that God is out there. We're here. We have to do things to get him to come here. We have to pray, we have to fast, we have to convince him to come out of heaven and come here and move in our lives and move on this planet. And it's like, no, he's made himself one with you. He has connected himself to you by his spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's throw this graphic up here. Some of you have seen this already. If you haven't seen that, you can take a few minutes to look at it. You know, this is not to say this is the way it is. Right? All this is, it's, it's like an illustration, it's a parable to kind of give an idea of some of the functions of your being and the kind of connection you have with the Father and how he moves in our life through our hearts ultimately. All rooted in this idea that above all else we are to guard our heart because it affects our whole life. It touches everything we do. Out of it flow the issues or boundaries of life. And then as you think in your heart, so are you. So out here you've got the world. The world through your five senses is processed by your brain, which starts to produce thoughts and feelings and emotions inside your soul. And you have a choice of whether or not you're going to let that stuff affect your heart. Your heart is the real you. Your heart is where you believe. In fact, your heart is new after you've been born again. That's one of the promises of the new covenant. He says, I will give you a new heart. And in Colossians 2, when it talks about that we have a circumcision performed on us without hands that is removed from us and he puts a new heart in us, this is what he's talking about. You could call it a new nature. You could call it the root of sin taken out of you and you've been given the root of righteousness. I mean, there's lots of different ways to say it. But the truth is, you have become a new creature in Christ. And the way that he did that was he gave you a new heart. Amen? And he joined himself to your spirit by his spirit. 
It's, that's the foundation of all this stuff that we're talking about. Because as believers, as followers of Christ, we want to experience everything that God has for us, right? And we look at our world, we look at the condition of our lives, and we think, well, God, you said this, but I don't see it here. God, you promised this. I'm not having it. I've tried everything that I could know to do. I've gotten in my thinking and in my mind, and this is how you do it, and the preacher said I'm supposed to do this and did this, and I gave and gave and gave, and it didn't work, and this and that. And so what's happening is, is we've been trying to live our Christianity out of our brains rather than out of our hearts. And see, I'll just tell you the secret. Nobody can really teach you how to make these adjustments. You just have to learn how to connect with your God in your heart and let him influence you so that you experience the power of that and that transformation. There's no seven steps. There's no 12 steps. There's no secret. It's a choice to trust God and as you are trusting him in your heart, you will let him transform you. Do you see that? I mean, the, the issue is we know too much stuff. You know, we've got all this information in our thinking and in our learning, and, and we think we believe it. But what comes out of your heart is what you really believe. You ever found yourself in a situation and afterward you look back and there's the carnage, the damage, you know, there's people bleeding and crying and you look back and you're like, what just happened? Did I do that? Maybe that's not as extreme for you, but you look back and you think, you know, maybe you wake up or the night you're going to bed and you're thinking, really, again, I found myself there again, really? I don't want that. I don't... I don't want to go there. I don't want to have these thoughts. I don't want to talk to that person the way that I did. I feel horrible that I did that. What is wrong with me? You ever done that? It's because we live out of our hearts more than we live out of our soul and our thinking. What you believe in your heart drives you and guides your choices more than anything else. And you will always default back to what you really and truly believe. Not what you know, what you believe. And we can change what we believe. We can See, this new heart, it has a direct connection to the Father. And it hears Him. It hears His voice. And it knows His voice. It has His laws written on it. Now, that gets confusing because some of us, as soon as we hear law, it's like tilt, tilt, you know, we go kind of harebrained. But when you look at the description of the law under the Old Covenant, it was never meant for righteousness. It was only meant live this way because this is how this planet works, and if you live this way, it will go well for you. So ultimately, the law is God saying... This is the best way to live on this planet so that it will go well for you. Amen? It's not for righteousness. It's not to receive blessing. It's because he's the creator. He knows how it works. He knows how to lead and guide you to best function in this place so that it will go well for you. And you will find yourself in the middle of his blessing. It's not that you keep the laws and then he says, oh, look, there they kept this law 700 or 600 two, now let me give them this blessing, you know. It's not, he's not dissecting it out. So, 
again, you know, I'm not trying to dissect if you're a soul that has a spirit or if you're a spirit that has a soul. What we're looking at is the kind of union that we have with God. Now, I, I saw this in worship this morning, and, and it just kind of changed a little bit because I'm trying to look at this as a living a living element rather than, you know, because sometimes we see this, and if you see any misspelled <coughs> words, just excuse me. Photoshop doesn't have autocorrect, so. But imagine that this is a branch in a tree, right? I, ultimately, this is just to give an illustration of the kind of union that we have with God. And I just see this tree over here, this massive tree, and this tree is God. And this branch is you. And you are directly connected to God. This is the promise that we're given in Isaiah, that believers, after the Messiah goes through what he goes through, and we receive the Messiah, we are engrafted in, into him. It says that he becomes our husband. He becomes betrothed to us. It's a marriage. It's a union. It's a deep connection at the deepest level of what and who we are that he puts us into himself. And then... We are to trust and obey from the heart, and obey basically just means believe. You know, in, in, in the Greek and Hebrew, there's no concept of the two different things. There, it actually, trust is part of the definition is obey. We think obey is when we get all our actions right and we do all the laws and we keep everything he says we're supposed to do. You've obeyed properly. Very good. Well done. You get a sucker here. You, have, you get a cookie, you get something else because he's splitting up what he gives. I mean, it's weird what we do with how God works in our lives. If we can change it to realize that we are a branch engrafted in him and the same life that flows through him is flowing through us, it says he who has the son has the life. The life of God, the essence of what is in God is flowing through you. It doesn't make you God doesn't mean you're going to become a god. It just means you are connected with him. It's the mystery hidden throughout all the ages that the prophets wanted to understand. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So what's the problem? I mean, if we're in God and, and we're good with him and there's no guilt, there's no condemnation, we're at peace with him, our sin can't separate us from him any longer. You know, sin used to separate you from God. Well, you were already separated from God. Now what sin does is if you let it get in to your being, this is about as far as it can go right here. It can't get into your spirit. This new heart is partially spirit and partially soul. Sin cannot taint the aspect of you that's eternal. You can only let it get in and play around in your actions and in your thinking and in your mind and in your emotions, and it'll start to affect your heart and it starts to harden your heart where you become desensitized to God, but it cannot separate you from God any longer because you have this spiritual connection with him. Do you believe that? Do you receive that? I mean, it's a big one. Some people will still teach, well, your sin separates you from God. Really, my sin, my actions then, you're telling me, is stronger than my marriage union with God, which is really upheld between the Father and the Son. I'm secure in that. I mean, it's, 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 it's an important one that you understand. Does that mean sin is okay? No. Does that mean we, should, we can just kind of sweep sin under the rug? No. I mean, no. 
More than, that, more than ever, you should avoid sin. In fact, you should live above the power of it because you have the power of God flowing through you to affect every aspect of your being. Amen? So that, that's kind of review of what we've been talking about. Today, I, I just want to specifically talk about the element of faith. And this, this graphic is evolving, and I, you know, I originally got the idea from my pastor, Jim Richards, from his heart physics model of how we're connected with God. Some people see concentric circles. Some people draw something completely different. However you see it, don't let this trip you up. Just let it you know, kind of teach you of, of your connection with him. So we've been taught about faith, all different kinds of things. You know, we all have different backgrounds of what faith is. The bottom line of faith is it's not something that you do to get God to move. Faith is not what you do to get God to respond to you. Faith is your response to what God has already done in Christ. Faith is your response to who God is. Faith says looks in the word where God says, I am Jehovah, your provider. Faith says, yes, you are. I am convinced of that. In fact, when my world doesn't reflect that, I am going to be so confident that you are provider. The nature of who you say that you are is provision. That's who you want to be. That's who you've declared yourself to be. That's, who you, that's how you treat people. That's how you want to treat me. I am going to do whatever it takes to persuade my heart to stay focused on the truth of who God is, that he is my provider, until all this other stuff lines up. That's faith. Faith isn't you finding a passage and you saying it over and over and over, and convincing yourself that it's real, and then all of a sudden God makes it happen in your life. Faith just looks at God and says, this is who you are. This is the nature of the being that you are. And as you can connect to that, you will let that flow into your life. So Hebrews 11.1, 1, let's just start there. <clears throat> Hebrews 11.1. 1. I'm going to read some of the definitions as we go. And kind of mix some of the translations. Is that legal? Are y'all okay with that? You know what I mean? It's, it was originally written in Greek, so some of this English stuff, we got to get it to where it actually reflects the original language. So Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith, and faith, if you look it up, the definition is persuaded, convinced, or confident in or of. So Persuaded. I'm convinced of this. I have faith in God. I am persuaded that he is who he says that he is. So now faith is the confidence or the substance. The word substance or confidence there is substructure, the foundation or the resolution in what we hope for. I'll go back and kind of put this together so it makes more sense. Hope is confident expectation in, and assurance and evidence of what we do not see. So faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, so he kind of puts a real-world illustration of what he just said in verse 1 and verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command 
so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. And I would add it still works that way. What is seen is not made out of what is visible. Faith is the substance of what we're confidently expecting. But faith is trusting God. If you would put that graphic back up, please, sir. See, faith, your confidence toward God and your assurance and your persuasion in your own heart is the evidence that you need to see in your life what you're not currently seeing. Are you following me? Then he says, it was the same all the way back in the beginning. God used things that you can't see to produce what you can see. See, we have this linear kind of physical, almost Newtonian concept of thinking of how God works, right? That's why we look to the physical world to judge if God's moving in our life or not. We look outside into the physical world and say, okay, God, you promised that you'd be my provider. And so then we start telling him what to do in the world to bless us. Well, if you would bring this person over here or you would cause this boss to do this and you'd do this or you'd bring this client through or you'd have this person do this, then, I could, then you could bless me. This is how I want you to bless me, God. You hear me? You got it? And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Even from the very beginning, the way God brings into your life the things that he wants in your life, he does it with things that are unseen. So it's your persuasion, your confidence of looking at him and just trusting in his character. And Jesus further explains in Mark 4, he says, this is how the kingdom works. The kingdom is in here. It's been planted in your heart. And the degree to, it's been planted in your spirit. And the degree to which you cultivate it and you meditate on it and you ponder it and you become persuaded of it in your heart, it will grow and manifest into the rest of your life. This world is organic, it's fluid, it's growing. It responds to God. Now, I'm not saying you need to go start commanding to this world, your words are the creators and you're, you know, I, I, there's some truth in that and I'm not trying to take away from that. But this is how he relates it to. He says the things that you're hoping for, right? The things that you know that God has promised you in his word, the way they come into your life, is the same way God created from the very beginning, and that is God commanded them into existence. God commanded them into existence. God is attempting to command the blessing to come into your life. Do you see that? God is trying to speak through your heart, through your mind, through your brain and your mouth into this world to command the blessing. Absolutely you speak the promise and the blessing. But not to try to convince God to give it to you, because, but because it's a persuaded sentence that you say. There's a confidence in your prayer when you speak. Some of us are asking for things from God, or we're trying to connect with God, or we're trying to see in our lives what we know He's promised us, but there's a disconnect right about here. Where it's coming out of your mouth, but you're, you're in your mind and you're, you're deep down in your heart, you're thinking, mm-mm. You're thinking about what you did yesterday. You're thinking about what you did last year. You're thinking about what you did with your spouse, to your spouse. You're thinking about all the stuff other than the character of God. It's what we do. We pray, and it's all in our head. You ever feel like that, like you pray, and then you just kind of stop, and you're like, wait a minute. I don't even know what I was saying. Let me just stop, 
connect with God in my heart, and then let me speak from that place. Let me go back to that place of peace. See, because peace will guard your heart. Let me go back to that place of peace and rest specifically in who you are in Christ, and then let me move. Let me make decisions from there. Let me get God's ways of thinking in my mind and in my heart before I move forward. And so what faith does is faith has a choice. You know, it, it stands right in this area between your heart and your soul maybe, and, it, and it's looking for evidence. Faith is looking for evidence. Your, your soul is looking for evidence. That's why it says, God says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. You know, it's like he gives you the answer. <laughs> Choose life. Choose blessing. Because the things that you aren't seeing in your life that you know God has promised you, they don't come from you getting in this world and manipulating it and making things happen. It comes from you trusting Him, and just like God originally created this creation, it comes out of nowhere. You can't explain it. Jesus, I think I was going to say this a minute ago, I stopped. But Jesus explains it in His parable about the heart. That this is how the kingdom works. It's like a farmer casts seed in the ground. He goes to sleep. He wakes up. He doesn't know how it happens, but it produces after its own kind. All the seeds of the kingdom that God has for you are resident in Christ. Christ is in you. In Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And Christ is in you. There's not an element of God that you don't already have if you've said yes to Jesus. The fullness of God dwells in you because Christ is in you. Do you see that? And so to experience what he wants in your heart, I mean in your life, you have to see it in your heart. So we go through this evidence-gathering process, but the problem is we look to the world to gather our evidence. Well, I see this, God. I see this in the world. I feel this. This person said this. I, I, it feels true to me, so I'm going to believe it in spite of what the truth even really is. Confidence in the finished work of Christ and your security in your union with God is the evidence you need to see with your eyes what you've already seen with your heart. In other words, if you want to see it in your life, you have to first see it in your heart. You have to first see the reality that God is that in you, that he wants it for you, that he has promised you. You know, and I, I say it, I make light of it. I'm not talking about your driving your Bugatti up your gold brick paved driveway into your 10,000 square foot mansion. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about you experiencing righteousness, peace, and joy, and the blessing, and the provision, and the abundance of God externally in your world for the purpose of glorifying Him. You know, it, God is glorified when you walk in blessing. He wants you blessed. He wants you abundantly provided for so you can be a blessing. But we're not talking about material stuff, so to speak. We're talking about the fruits of His Spirit. 
the fruits of his kingdom, the fruit of his, the intimacy of his presence being more real to you than anything in the world. I mean, do you, I hope you make it a, a regular practice to just kind of shut the world out. And, and I, don't, I don't really mean to try to hear a voice. See, this is what we do. We try to do the deep stuff with God that should be done at a heart and spirit level. We try to do that with our thinking. It's like we're sitting there in our brains saying, okay, I need to hear a voice. I need to hear an idea. I need to hear a concept. I need to hear something specific. And it may turn into that. But do you know how to connect with God in a deeper area that is better than understanding? See, the peace that passes understanding is better. It's better. The peace in the heart, in the face of your God, is better than any understanding that you can get. But we think understanding is what will be the key that produces the blessing in our lives. Doesn't work that way. The way that it works is the same way that it worked from the very beginning, and God commanded something out of nothing. I mean, do you believe that God wants to bless you? How persuaded are you of that? I mean, I know there's questions, there's things that roll around in our mind and in our thinking, but this is what he says. The way the kingdom works is that it has been planted within you and it grows into your life as you rest in him. What I'm trying to get us to do is think spiritually. And it's a deeper place than in our intellect. It's a deeper place than in our minds even, in our reasoning. Sometimes our reasoning, it's not based on the truth. It's not based on who God is. Ultimately, you just strip it all away and you look back at your father that you are connected to, and you, you just marvel at him. I mean, what, like if you were to stand in front of God, what would you notice? I mean, what do you see of him? What, what is true of God for you? Does that question make sense? Like when you stop and you worship and you think about God, I mean, what is true about him for you? As you behold him, you become like him. But we have kind of this mini courtroom going on. This was an idea. I'm going to try and read this so that it makes sense here. This little area of our being, it's almost like a little mini courtroom that we have. So in the courts, evidence is corroborated by witnesses, right? Or some type of physical evidence. In the court system, everything is presented. The witnesses give their testimony. The physical evidence is presented. And a verdict is made based on the evidence whether the verdict is true or not, right? Unfortunately, the truth is not always the bottom line of the court's verdicts. It's based on what can be proven or how it can be presented and manipulated to come to a particular conclusion. We've got this little mini judge sitting right here gathering evidence, determining which reality it's going to live in, determining what verdict it's going to make. And just like our physical courts, 
it can come to a conclusion that's not based on truth. It can come to a conclusion that feels real to you, that looks real to you. I mean, this entire world, there could be neon lights flashing the lie, and you're looking at it, and you feel it, and you hear it, and everybody around you is mimicking it and saying it and reinforcing it, and you keep making the choices consistent with that lie, but it's still not the truth. Can you get a hold of that part of yourself and gather evidence from Christ, from the finished work of what He has done, from who God has revealed Himself to be throughout all the ages? Can you gather it from His blood that has cleansed you, which is the process of sanctification, and left you holy to be inhabited by God? Can you look at... See, this is why understanding the covenants is important because you, you feel these things about yourself based on your behaviors and we, we disassociate the facts of this covenant that is promised and sealed in the blood of Christ. And it is a covenant between the Father and the Son and you are made one in that covenant. Those are the kinds of things that I'm talking about. You know, you, you, you reaffirm your identity in your heart based on truth rather than what your ego says. See, ego seeks to validate its... The ego, your ego is the part of you that thinks you're right, even if you know you're wrong. Your ego is the part of you that justifies why you are where you are. Are you following me? Your ego has very good excuses for the condition of your life. And they could be really valid points, but they're still not based on truth. It could be true things, but is there a greater truth than the present reality that you're experiencing? See, we don't really believe that spirit is real. We don't really know how to let God influence us and move in our lives and trust that His influence in our life will bring us into a place of blessing. We want to take control of it. We want to to tell Him what to do. And, And it's not because we're bad. It's because we are so stinking carnal thinking. I mean, we are so carnal in our thinking. aren't we? Like when you think, when you hear a promise and you think, well, I don't know how that's going to happen. That's right. You don't. Do you know how he spoke everything out of nothing? If you figure that one out, you've got a right to say that. You see what I'm saying? God, you said you're my provider, but I don't know how you're going to fix this one. You have to shut yourself off in this area, from being in agreement with him. What do we do? do? Why do we do that? Because we don't trust. We're not convinced of his character. We've never seen anybody in our lives that we can take them at their word, even ourselves. We judge God in light of how we treat ourselves. 
You've got to set your ego aside. You've got to set the way you see yourself and the way that you think you figured this world out, put it down, and do nothing but be convinced of who God says he is and understand what Christ has done in you. Amen? Because this part of you right here is looking for evidence, and God is standing there, right? So then you add this element to it, Romans 8, 16. Let me actually just read this, Matt, if you'll leave that graphic up. And again, I'm not trying to get you to, to adopt that this is the way that it is as far as this illustration, but just go with me here. Imagine this being your courtroom, and you're determining whether you're going to believe the truth or not, and you're looking at the world, and you're looking at the Lord, you know, God in you to come up with your evidence to make your verdict. But imagine this. You've got a witness right here. Who's that? That's the Spirit of God in you. You've got a witness that steps in this situation right here. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself, not just the Word, not just his past, not just the evidence of what he has done. You know what I mean? The Spirit himself. I don't know. This is important. It's a big deal. There's legal language here. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You have a voice eternally implanted somewhere in this area here that is constantly speaking to where you believe from these things. You are my child. You belong to me. You are one with me. Verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, I'll explain the next part of that verse in just a second. But this voice, and it's not just a voice. It's like, you know, I like to think of the Spirit as more like water. You know, Jesus described him as he would be a wellspring, he would be a, a well springing up to eternal life. You know, can you see that? Can you see this life source that is just constantly feeding your heart? constantly seeking to influence your mind and set you at peace. He's called the comforter. He wants to comfort you. I'm not just talking about some sappy God where everything's marshmallows and rainbows and you're not in reality. You know what I mean? I'm talking about a peace that's real. I mean, I become aware of it just talking about it. Do you, you know, I don't want to say, well, God's releasing peace and there's a shift in the atmosphere. I mean, we shift the atmosphere. If there's a shift in the atmosphere, you did it. You, you understand? Some of y'all are like, I ain't never heard that before. There's language that certain circles, you, well, God is shifting the environment, the atmosphere. It's like, well, you did that because you were aware of him. You let him shift it through you. Can you connect to that peace? <clears throat> so... And he's bearing witness that we're his children. Now, it doesn't stop what he's bearing witness to. This verse continues what he's bearing witness to. It's like, it's like the Spirit is here saying, look, you are God's child. You are my child. And if you're a child, then you're an heir. And if you're an heir, you're a fellow heir with Christ. That means that this is a continual. This voice is saying this. You're my child. 
You're an heir. You're a joint heir with Christ. And if you're an heir with Christ, you've inherited everything that Christ has. You have all blessing within you. God has already given you everything that pertains unto life and godliness. All his promises are yes and amen. He will I am continually in you, leading you and guiding you in all truth. This is how you respond to this person. This is the choice that you make in this area. I mean, it's like this built-in witness, always pointing us back to the truth. So you can take that witness and bear witness in your spirit and come into agreement and it will be established in your life. Amen? And you know it. If some of you that were born again later in life and then you become aware of that presence within you and it's like there's a, there's a, a surety that you have about God that you can't explain. The natural mind can't receive it. Like when you talk to atheists or agnostics or people that haven't been born again and you're trying to talk these kinds of ideas, you feel a little childish because it's like, well, I don't know how to explain it. I just believe. Well, that's you being in agreement with that inner witness. That's you just agreeing with the testimony of truth that is in you. That is an appropriate answer because our intellect can't explain that deep physical union. That's why music and poetry and art and nature and all that stuff is so important to help people experience this union so that it prepares their hearts. It, it gets in here and it causes them at a heart level to turn toward God and choose Him and, and, and choose Him as an option rather than just looking to the physical world of how they're going to believe. You're not going to outsmart an atheist. It's probably not going to happen. You're not going to use intellect and their own logic against them for them to come to a different conclusion. It's the methods of God which are love. Really just love. I mean, that's about all we got. But there is nothing greater, right? I saw this, you know, what's going on in our country and around the world, and it's kind of like the world has been turned upside down and shaken a little bit, and everything's trying to get back together. And I was telling Mike this <clears throat> this week, you know, but believers, listening to him and how he talks about government and the role of government has changed how I see and I talk about government. You know, I used to have this idea that we were over here, government's over there, and we're trying to be the Christians and influence government over there. Or, or, you know, we do that with our lives in general. It's like, I'm over here, but that person's over there, and I'm trying to change that. I, I hope I can articulate this in the way that I'm understanding it. But it's like, no, those, those sections of society need us to just be who we are natural Christians in the midst of them rather than trying to impose something on top of that system. Now, I don't mean that we're going to take that system and reform it and somehow establish the kingdom through that carnal system. I don't mean that. I just mean that we operate within those systems so that those systems then align with who we are as believers and then serve the rest of the people under those systems or associated with Does that make sense? I mean, it's like we should be nat so naturally living and talking about every area of our lives 
that it's not separated where we're trying to get God to go into this area. I don't know. That does, I, I feel like it's, I'm not clearly saying it, but I think you know what I mean. So, there should just be this natural outflow out of us to live who we are instead of trying to think, okay, well, I'm here, so I've got to be this way. Now I'm here, so I've got to be this way. No, in any place, can you express who you are in Christ no matter where you are? That's kind of a rabbit trail. But look at what he says in John 14 here. And this is powerful. You can, flip, you can put that one up, John 14, 16. This is Jesus, red letters. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Say helper. helper. To be with you. I, I like when I read passages, I mean, when I read the word in general, I, I don't want to read things into it. You know, I want to take it at face value. But I also like to look at what, what is he not saying here? You know, it doesn't say I'll send you another abuser. I'll send you another condemner. I'll send you another tester that, or, you know, mad scientist that will make your life difficult. It's weird the things that we think about God. He says, I will send you a helper. I will send you a helper to be with you forever. Who sends him? For how long? Forever. Okay. Then verse 17, even the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him. Say, I know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. You have this built-in inner witness that is truth, that if you can tap into, you, it's okay if you can't explain it. It's okay if you don't understand it. It's okay if you just look at it and say, I, don't, I see my life, and I don't know how in the world this is going to change, but I know God says this. That is the best place you can actually be. Because then you're at a place where you're not trusting in your own strength and you're willing to trust Him. But can you hold on to that confidence is the question. Can you stay in that peace till it bears fruit? It's like we dip our toe in there, like, well, that feels good, and then we run away. It's what we do. I'm not saying you make it happen in your own efforts. But as you abide in him, his fruit is born into your life. It's, it's a fruit growth, not cause and effect. You don't do something to get. You just stay connected with him. It would be like a branch taking itself off of the tree and laying on the ground and saying, hey, I need some water down here. I mean, you're not, cut, you're not separated from God, but that's what we do in our minds and even in our hearts. Can you stay connected, convinced of his truth, inspired by his word, touched by his presence? You know, I mean, you, you, you do realize when you come into worship, I mean, you know, sometimes the songs make a difference. Sometimes the way they're singing makes a difference. But most times, it's what's going on in you that makes a difference of how moved you are or not. You know, I asked this question a few weeks ago. Can you, under any circumstance, be moved by God? Can't, do you know how to stop your world 
look at him and be moved by him, be touched by him. You know, feel the things that he's feeling. Think the things that he's thinking. Not where you get some idea because you hear an idea spoken from his voice, but because you've, you're just letting that stream flow within you. It is the path of transformation. It is the power that you need in your life. It's to stay convinced of his truth. He likens it to seed, and he likens it to how God created everything in the beginning. Everything came out of nothing. He's telling us how it works, but yet we're sitting there going, I don't understand how it works. It's like, I'm telling you how it works. It comes out of nothing. Well, I don't understand. We run these cycles. We run these cycles, you know? That's why preaching is foolish, because we're trying to describe spiritual truth. You just can't do it. You just paint a picture. Step outside of ego, of self. Set aside emotions and look at your situation from a spiritual perspective. Just put that graphic back up if you would. You step outside deeper into your inner man. See, we're standing and looking at the condition of our life right in this area from our understanding. We're looking at the world. We're looking at circumstances. And then we have feelings. And it's like our perspective of our lives is usually from right about here. Just take another step a little bit deeper into your inner being and then look at it. Look at it how God sees it. You might need to know the word. That might mean read the Bible that week and get some truth out of it and say, okay, well, this is how God sees this area. I'm going to think on how God sees this facet of life and let that marinate within me. See how it would have been. This is something that I do. See how it would have been in the Garden of Eden. Now, that might work for some of you, but it might not for others. Get an image from a spiritual perspective, in your heart. Let yourself feel the hope and excitement of that truth being in your life. Hold on to that picture. Hold on to that truth. and Anchor it in God's love for you. And don't let go. Don't let doubt cause you to let go. Don't let fear. Don't let worry. Stay at peace. As you are at peace, you are allowing him to transform you and move into your life. And your world will then look like what happened in the very beginning. And that is he just spoke and everything was good. That's what he did. He just spoke and he looked at it and he said, that's pretty good. That's what he's trying to do in your life. Command the blessing so that he can step back and you can say thank you. He says, I am glorified because you have allowed this to be birthed into your life. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you have good plans for us, not to harm us. 
plans full of hope, with an expected future, full of those good plans coming to pass, so that you would be glorified through our lives. God, we choose in this, just make this your prayer. I choose in this moment to make it a regular practice to suspend my ego, to suspend my awareness of this world and become more aware of your truth, of your reality, of who you say I am in you, of who you are. I want to know your character inside and out. Thank you that you have made yourself known to me. You have placed me, you have hidden me with Christ in yourself. You have picked me up from being dead and grafted me into you so that I can experience your life. I live because you are alive. The branch is alive because the tree is living Amen, amen.